0: This is a podcast from The Business Times.
1: For most of us, it's a pipe dream. Not needing to go to work and still being able to live the way we're used to. Short of winning the lottery, it feels unattainable for most. And I've accepted that I will always need to exchange my time and effort for money. Okay, shall stop the pity party right now. It is possible, apparently. And let's find out what it takes. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money-managing and wealth-growing journey. I'm your host, Howie Lem. And helping us today, David Kuo, co-founder of The Smart Investor. David, always a pleasure. Hello, Howie. This is not something a lot of people feel is attainable, but maybe you help us out with some definitions. What exactly does salary independence mean to you? Because to me, it's a bit like these other, shall we call it, methods or theories like FIRE, you know, financial Mm -hmm. independence, retire early, financial freedom, etc. arose by any other name?
0: Well, that was a kind of Shakespearean quote. I think Shakespeare definitely wasn't a horticulturalist, because not all roses smell the same, right? And in similar ways, I wrote a book called Your Path to Salary Independence. I deliberately tried to avoid the word financial freedom, but salary independence, which are two completely different things. We can never, ever be financially independent no matter how rich we are we still require finance the financial system in order to operate the only way we can be financially independent would be if we moved to a desert island somewhere and went fishing every day for our food and plucked coconuts from the trees yeah (laughs) then we can be financially independent because we would be totally independent But there comes a point in time when you run out of recipes for fish and coconuts. So salary independence is something completely different. It means that you can be independent of requiring your paycheck from your boss. Most of us work because we need that paycheck every month. But what salary independence allows you to do is to say, hey, I don't require my paycheck every month. I can go off and go and do something else that I really enjoy. And if the pay is lower, it doesn't really matter to me that much. But in order to do that, you need to be able to rely on other sources of income.
1: It's sounding a lot like we then need to get our money, what we do have, Mm -hmm. to work harder for us. Correct. And then find other income streams. Being able to be salary independent, we seem to be going back to that savings versus investing argument. Correct. Because the risk averse will think, let me just squirrel all of that away under my mattress. Yeah. But we all know it's both, actually. What are people missing,
0: though, so these aren't new ideas? Effectively, what I'm saying is that you do need that pot of money that will be able to generate for you some kind of income. That pot of money will be different for different people. Let's just say it's a million dollars that you have, and you put it to work for you. That million dollars should be able to generate for you Roughly at four percent, around about forty thousand Singapore dollars per year, and you divide that by twelve, and it works out to be about three thousand six hundred dollars a month. That's not bad. Is that enough, though? Is that enough?
1: En- is relative.
0: Right. Correct. And that is the whole point. It is relative. And for some people, they will say a million dollars is not going to be enough. I need two million dollars, which will therefore generate for me $80,000 a year. And you divide that by 12 and it works out to be about seven and a half thousand Singapore dollars per month. Is That's that gonna, enough. Is that going to be... <laughs> Is not going to be enough if your expectations are that I need to be able to take the family on holiday every year, maybe three or four times a year, then you would say seven and a half thousand is not going to be enough. So whatever you require, you need to know where you are now and how much that pot has to be. And if it's $3 million, how are you going to get from where you are now to $3 million in that pot? And that is the journey that I'm going to be taking you on. I'm going to help you work out what that magic number is. What is that figure? For some people, a million will be more than enough. And if my expectations are not excessive, it's good enough. So I can take a job that is of a lower salary. And as long as I'm happy going to work, then that's fine, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Do you think anyone can be salary independent then, regardless of age? So that goes back to savings versus investing. If you are saving then your expectations are, I will only be able to produce or generate roughly about a 3%, 4% return on my investment. If you were only going to do that, then, of course, it would take you a longer time. But if you were slightly more aggressive in terms of putting your money to work for you at an early age, and if you were able to generate, say, a 7 or 8% return, then, of course, you would be able to achieve salary independence a lot quicker. And if you were to win the lottery, you could get your salary Yay. dependence tomorrow, mm. right? So that is the whole point between investing and savings. Your question was, can anyone do that? And my answer is, yes, everyone can do that. But it really depends on your appetite for risk. Are you able to tolerate a higher return, but accepting the fact that there's going to be a higher risk involved? And if you are, you're going to have to put virtually all of your money into stocks and shares, and maybe in some cases put it into slightly riskier investments such as high-tech shares, technology shares, biotech shares, then you will be able to actually achieve that salary independence quicker. And it also depends on how much you are prepared to sacrifice today. So are you prepared to cut down your expenditure today in order to achieve that salary independence sooner? And if you're not prepared to give up anything, then of course, you will never achieve that salary independence.
1: David, here's the thing. I'm sure it's not a one-size-fits-all type of method we're going into. Where should we start once we decide we'd like to be salary independent?
0: So the first thing you need to do is to work out how much you need. It's a bit like driving a car. If you don't know where you're going and you jump straight into your car, I'm just going to drive around.
1: Actually, I disagree. (laughs) You've got to start with if you don't know where
0: you're starting out. I totally agree with you. There are two points on your journey, where you are now and where you want to be. If you have nothing then of course your journey is going to be longer and then you need to know where you are going to be at a certain point in time and those are the only three parameters that you require where you are now where you want to be and how long is it going to take you to go from where you are now to where you want to be if you tell me I've got a hundred thousand dollars now and I want a million dollars by the end of the year then I will have to say to you you're gonna to have to take on an excessive amount of risk in order to get there and in most cases it will be unrealistic everything is achievable it really depends on how much you are prepared to number one sacrifice and how much risk you are prepared to take still to come let's talk about those extreme measures
1: does it always mean extreme sacrifice we've been speaking with david co-founder of the smart investor can everyone be salary independent find out in a bit The International News Media Association held its annual World Congress in May this year in New York, attracting leadership from news media companies in 50-plus countries and included a conference, workshops, study tours, and awards. Associate Editor, Product, The Business Times, Christopher Lim, attended as well. What did we learn? Find out in the latest episode of Editor's Talk. Out on July 3rd. Proudly produced by The Business Times Podcasts team. Listen
0: wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times.
1: David, always it seems as though... The methods need to be draconian. It needs to be extreme sacrifice in order to reach these kinds of goals. And you've actually talked about literally freezing one's credit card to control debt and spending. Whilst that makes sense, talk to us about why it always seems to mean
0: extreme sacrifice in order to do these things. Well, my freezing the credit card analogy was for those people who are already in debt and they're not able to make the full repayments every month on their credit cards you <laughs> My point really was that if you do have credit card debts and you're not making the full repayments every month, then effectively you are giving money to your bank. How are you going to ever be able to achieve your salary independence? Because whatever cash you have will be used for paying off your credit card debts. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. But my other point was that not all debts are the same. Things like student loans, they're not a bad debt to have because it improves yourself, your standing and all also hopefully get you a better job at the end of your degree. So mortgage debt is also okay, because nobody has a million dollars in their back pocket to go and say, I want to go and live in a two-bedroom flat somewhere, and here's a million dollars in cash. Nobody has that. So those kind of debts are okay, but the bad debts are the ones that incur high interest rates, such as credit card debts. So try and get rid of those completely, especially if you aren't able to make those full repayments every month.
1: Earlier, we alluded to the financial independent retire early movement. That one espouses some extreme sacrifice. Does your path to salary independence
0: espouse that too? What I'm saying is that you need to live below your means. If you're only earning, say, $5,000 a month and you spend $7,000 a month, then that is not good. So you need to be able to cut your cloth accordingly. What you need to do is to make sure that you spend less than your salary – and to ensure that there is still some money left over that you can put towards your salary independence for the future. You can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You need to get rid of one thing, right? And if you are excessively spending your salary, then you need to actually cut down. Because if you haven't got that spare cash to invest, then salary independence will just be a pipe dream. If this is how much I'm earning, then I have to reduce my spending so that I have some savings put to one side, and that savings needs to be put to work, preferably in investing terms, and put it into the stock market, put it into whatever you want, as long as it is generating a decent return for you to achieve that salary independence. If you are taking three holidays a year, why can't you just cut it down to one? If you want to have a pair of trainers, you don't have to have the latest Onisukas, You've never heard of (laughs) Anisukas? You don't have to have the latest Nikes, okay? You can have whatever you want, but don't try and compete with your friends. You don't need to upgrade your phone every year. You can make some sacrifices. So let's maybe move away
1: from the sacrifice talk, right? And talk about how we can earn some money. And you also talk about how stock picking can be easy. Now, I do not believe that for a second. It could be just the rhetoric, the noise, Nobody ever says stock picking
0: is easy, but you're saying it can be. As long as you have the mental ability to separate out the different types of shares in the stock market, then it becomes easy. I advocate a method called the pyramid method. 60% of your portfolio should be in high income generating shares. Then you've got 30% in what I would call growth shares and then the top 10% is in what I would call speculative shares, slightly more aggressive shares. What a lot of people get wrong is that they put far too much in the speculative side and they probably put too much in the growth side and not enough in the income side. So effectively, your pyramid, which should really have a solid base, a midsection that is relatively high growing, and then some speculative stuff at the top, they've literally turned the pyramid upside. Oh, inverted. They've inverted it. That's not stable. Precisely. Just from a physics standpoint, right? Um, So they end up with an unstable portfolio. And it is no surprise to me that sometimes they lose money because they've got far too much stuff in the speculative side of their portfolio. Here in Singapore, we have a tremendous number of good, stable, income-generating shares. The banks, the real estate investment trusts, some of the consumer good companies, they should form 60% of your portfolio. Then you've got the 30% growth shares. Unfortunately, here in Singapore, there aren't a tremendous amount of high, fast growing shares. We have some, but probably not enough for a stable portfolio. And so you have to look overseas for that, America. You need to go into NASDAQ to go and look for fast-growing shares that also pay you a dividend at the same time. All three of those sections in the pyramid are dividend-paying shares. And then you've got your speculative shares. And these are the ones that people might call value shares, shares that have fallen out of favor at the moment, but they still pay you a dividend. If you construct your portfolio that way and only stick to, say, about 20 shares in total, I would defy anybody not to be able to find 20 good shares in the stock market that would satisfy their own personal risk factors. And so that is why I'm saying it's relatively easy. You can put me anywhere in the world. As long as they have a stock market, I will be able to find you 20 good shares in that stock market that I can fit into that portfolio. Malaysia, I will find you 20 good stocks on the Bursa Malaysia. Hong Kong, I'll find you 20 good stocks in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. I will find you 20 good stocks in the FTSE 100. And despite the fact that there are thousands of shares over in America, I will be able to find you 20 good stocks. Research them carefully. Make sure that they fit your personal risks tolerance. And if you do that, then you won't go too far wrong.
1: But why bother
0: though with
1: this whole stock picking exercise? You know, some find it difficult. Some are afraid. Plus, there
0: are index trackers who can do that for us. I totally agree. If index tracker is your is your way forward, then go right ahead and do that. The big difference between picking your own stocks and using an index tracker is that you can fine-tune that portfolio. You can't fine-tune an index tracker. And one of the ways that I suggest to people who are new to investing is, yes, by all means, go down the index tracker route. That will give you the returns on the stock market. So if in Singapore the the, the returns is 6% a year or 7% a year, it isn't that bad. And if you get 3% dividend yield, that's pretty good also. But can you do better? My answer is, If you believe that the 3% dividend yield that is being generated from your portfolio is not sufficient income for you, then you need to actually put in a few more income generating stocks. And so you could actually throw in a few more REITs into that. And that's what I call investing with water wings. It's a bit like, you know, the first time you go swimming, if you jump in the pool, you're going to sink, right? So what do they do for young kids? The floaties. Precisely, you put floaties on and it gives them that confidence. And that is what Index Tracker plus a few of your own stocks will do for you. If those stocks don't do well, then it doesn't really matter. You still got the bulk of your money in your Index Tracker. But if those stocks do do well, Then, of course, you will beat the index. And eventually, you'll be able to dispense with the index tracker and just build your own portfolio. Curating your own portfolio gives you the chance to fine-tune that portfolio in such a way that it will do whatever you want it to do. By the time you retire... You want to actually dial down on the growth side because it's the income that you now require. I probably don't even need the speculative stocks anymore. I just need the income because that is my salary independence.
1: Yeah, I can't say I'm very charged up to do this. I'm sure once I am, I will first off (laughs) research more coconut and fish recipes. (laughs) David, thank you so much for your time today.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: David Kuo, co-founder of The Smart Investor. This has been Money Hacks from The Business Times. I'm Howie Lim. Next time, we talk about alternative investments again. Private debt, private equity and such. Is it a good idea now? And are they good hedges against rising inflation still? Join us to find out.
0: This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult
1: professional advisors for independent advice.